it's a big, big job. Um, when you look at what, what, uh, the church is called to do, the big C church is called to do. Um, mm-hmm. but I gotta tell you, I see, I see when I travel all around the world, I see, I see people who are absolutely listening and following God and the calling that he has on their lives and the way they're serving children and communities. And like, it's, and in some ways it looks really different, but then in other ways it's mm-hmm. the same, you know, in other ways it's the exact same. Uh, and, and you'd be shocked at the similarities between a church in a village in Western Africa and, and your home mm-hmm. church. This is the Defiant Dad Podcast, show number 12, coming to you today from the great state of Texas. My name is Andrew Sullivan. Thank you for making this show part of your day. Defiant is defined in the dictionary as showing a disposition to challenge, resist, or fight. And this podcast equips fathers to fight for themselves and for their families using the truth of the gospel. Something that's been on my mind for a while uh, has been the idea that I want my kids to have a global perspective. Uh, and let me let me clarify what I mean by that. Uh, the church, that is to say the greater body of believers, uh, the church is not just an American thing. I'm not sure if this is something that happens to anyone else, but I often find myself stuck in a mindset um, that says that these revolutionary ideas that the Bible prevent, uh, the Bible presents rather were crafted for and by Americans. And, and of course, <laughs> this is uh, very false. Uh, while I would never say that I've ever deeply held or believed those falsehoods, I would say that I tend to be forgetful, uh, admittedly, of our brothers and sisters who are worshiping God beyond the borders of the United States. Um, I think it's important uh, that my family, that my kids get to experience other cultures and uh, to know that Christ died and rose again for them too, not just for people who look, dress, act, speak, sound like us. Um, Ryan Johnson is our guest today. Uh, He's an old friend of mine, and as you're going to hear from his interview, he's been working as a cinematographer and storyteller with Compassion International for a long time now. Uh, He's perhaps one of the most well-traveled friends that I know, and uh, he's got a great perspective on the global church. And I hope uh, also that you're going to find his stories entertaining to listen to. And finally, if you're listening uh, today and you've never left the show a rating, would you mind uh, taking a second to do that, Uh, whether you're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, wherever it may be? A five-star rating really helps boost the visibility of the show so much, and I know it'd mean a whole lot to my guests. Uh, And with that said, here is my chat today with Ryan Johnson. Um, (laughs) What part of uh, of Colorado are you in? Are you in in Colorado Springs? Yes. Or Denver? Yeah. Uh, Colorado Springs. Yeah. Um, we, so we were living, so like, you know, that was 12 years ago. We've been here for 12 years. I grew up my kind of like later childhood was here in the Springs. So if it was a lot mm-hmm. like coming home, um, mm. my, um, yeah, I, I grew up on a different side of town, but yeah, it's a man, it's a great place. We've been here for 12 years. We were living in Virginia. So I, we were living in Virginia beach, like Chesapeake area. Um, yeah. and so yeah, we were super pumped to like get out of the get out of the East Coast and and come back to Colorado. And Ash Ash is from Fort Worth, right? So, um, yes. So we still go to Fort Worth when we can and and uh, see family. But we love it here. We love we love our community here. And and I mean, my brother and his wife were really close to them and their kids. And so yeah, it's a good place for us. We're really happy. Really, really happy, dude. That's really cool. My yeah. my cousin lives uh, in Highlands Ranch. You know, there on the south side of Denver. Yeah. And, uh, has lived there for, I'm guessing over 20 years. She moved there like, I think when I was in like junior high. So mm. it's been a long time she's been there and, you know, uh, raised her daughter there and got married. And, 
loves it. I mean, I yeah. it's, all the cliches about Colorado are true, man. It's just a beautiful <laughs> place, and yeah. Texans go there all the time. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Hey, we love it. Like, send all the Texans. We love, man. We love the tu- <laughs> we love the tourists. Fill up our ski resorts. I'm good with it. So that's awesome. Well, yeah. I want to get started, man, by yeah. uh, by asking you a little bit more about your story. Like, where did you grow up? And like, I've known you for years, but I realize I haven't like known you all that well and I, I regret that you know um but i want to want to get to know like a little bit more of your story where you're from what, what your upbringing was like you know um i know you love the lord like how, how you came to faith and and what that's what that's been like if you don't mind yeah. sharing more about yourself and then yeah. I, of course i want to get to know more about like your work we'll get this later on like your work with compassion um, yeah. so cool man yeah, wherever you want to start i think is good sounds good, good. it was a rainy night on a Tuesday, <laughs> uh, uh, no, I <laughs> I was born in Denver, and so my childhood was split between Arizona and Colorado. So, um, you know, like like so many people um, that I know, I, I sort of had this like legacy of faith. Um, like I had some, my uh, great grandfather was a, a pastor, and um, hmm. so we, it was a really important thing in terms of our family sort of history. Um, and mm-hmm. so growing up, I, I, you know, did, did like vacation Bible school and we were pretty active in, uh, in church as little, as little guys. Um, but then yeah. my family took like a huge break. And so that happened, uh, when we, we were living in Colorado at the time, we took a huge, mm-hmm. huge break. And, um, I, I think we had a really great, my parents had a really great church. They loved to, um, Scottsdale Bible uh, in in uh, Scottsdale mm-hmm. Arizona. So when we moved to Colorado, mm-hmm. my jo- my dad had like a job change, and we moved here. I think they struggled to find a church, and we just kind of stopped going. And then years started to go by, hmm. and um, before like before my parents knew it, I was like thirteen, fourteen, and we've been out of, mm-hmm. out of church for like five or six years. And yeah, um, and just like life gets busy, and we were we were busy kids. We were really active, and um, you know. I think um, my childhood was, was wonderful. We, we were doing sports and we were in Boy Scouts. We were out constantly outside. And so really, like mm-hmm. really great childhood. But this thing sort of drifted away with something that was important to my parents. And uh, as we were little kids, just being in church, like it kind of drifted away. So I so I was probably 13 or 14 and I had a good friend named uh, David Stebra. Um, and he um, he just invited me to his church. And, um, Mm -hmm. I was really not that familiar with, at that point, I was really not familiar with like what a youth group was or what that Mm -hmm. was like, or, or being in a youth ministry. Um, I'd never experienced that. I was like maybe 14 or 15. And so that was a, that was kind of an entry point back into church for me. So, so I started going with my friend and his family, uh, was, was going to their church. They would come pick me up. Um, and we would, we would go to church and, and, you know, we, at least, at least in our town, um, the church was really active. The youth group was really active, right? So we were there like three nights every week. We had youth group. We had like lock-ins. We do like laser tag, you know, <laughs> just all that stuff that That's youth awesome. groups. Sounds would, fun. Would do. I was a blast. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Um, but it was cool because I think my parents, um, my parents saw that happening. I was in high school at that point. My parents saw that happening and it was sort of a wake-up call for them. It was like, oh, like Ryan's back in church, you know, and he's by himself and we're mm-hmm. not with him. And mm-hmm. um, I don't think my family – like ever drifted from, from their faith, but it was just, we'd lost the habit. And so we all started going to church again as a family. So like the second half of high school for me was really active with like young life and, uh, with youth group and my whole family got really involved in that church. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, it was sort of this, like kind of later in my teen years, we all, we all got back into church, which was awesome. Um, Hmm. I think, um, 
I think a funny enough story though, um, you know, there's that kind of point though, I, I think in all of our stories where we feel like we have a real encounter with Jesus, right? And it, like all yeah. of a sudden, whatever, yeah. whatever legacy or history, whatever your parents are doing to you as a kid, like what it, that doesn't matter. All of a sudden you, you feel like you have your own experience. That happened to me yes. like, I think I was like 13 maybe. And it was, it was a, it was a youth group trip to South Padre. And, um, okay. I, dude, I did not want to go in this, on this trip. I was just like a little introverted, 13, socially terrified 13 year old. And okay. they, my parents were like, we weren't even going to the, the church, like the, the church was doing this youth group trip. We weren't even like going to that church. Um, my mom like drove me, put me on a bus and she's like, you're going on this trip. <laughs> And with all these people you don't you barely know and they were all i was like they were all much much older too i remember being like the youngest oh right so it was like the age range was like 13 to like 18 um yeah that's a big that's a big range yeah and so we took this bus ride to south padre and you know we drove all night it was actually terrible i remember being 13 thinking like this is awful like sleeping in a bus on so we pull up to south padre <laughs> and we have this like week-long conference um but there was like, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but there was like this one moment, it was kind of like the third night of worship there. And, um, the, um, they, they had a speaker and I wish I could remember his name, but he was telling this story of, uh, it was like the par- the parable of the prodigal son. He was telling this story, mm-hmm. but he, he was sort of modernizing it. And so he was almost, almost like reenacting it and, and sort of modernizing mm-hmm. it. Um, and mm-hmm. I remember him doing this full story and I was like blown away at this story. Um, and then he kind of like, it was like this little surprise at the end. He was like, ah, and this is, this is not actually my story. This is actually a parable in the Bible. And, um, and I just was like floored and it felt like the whole, I mean, this was a conference with like, we're talking like a thousand, like thousand kids, right? It was like rowdy, tons of kids. Big group. Yeah. Yeah, And it felt like the lights were turned off and I was the only one in the room. And, um, it was just, it, it was like an experience for me where, um, I think it was that first real encounter that I ever had with Jesus. And like, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's cool. Cause I think, um, I think as kids, we grow up with sort of what our, our parents were asking us to do and our families get into habits. And, but I do think there's a moment where you, your salvation becomes your own and like you have an encounter yeah. with Jesus and it changes your life. Right. And so that was so true for yeah. me, like 13, 14. And, and um, yeah, man, I, I, That's really cool. I, uh, so I loved, I loved doing youth group at the end of high school and big young life. Uh, it was a, a wildlife volunteer. So I would, would, uh, volunteer to do wildlife and, um, okay. yeah, man, that's, that's kind fun. of what landed what, me what at is, TCU. What is wild? Yeah. What's wildlife exactly? Is wildlife, like something related to young life? Yeah. Yeah. So, so wildlife is like the junior high version. Oh, of, okay. Of young See, life. I, yeah. Okay. My, it's so funny. There's so many parallels to your story and mine. Oh, really? Um, yeah. you know, I grew up in a, grew up in a great home, you know, uh, and we, we went to church as a family, like, when we lived down in Houston proper um, until, like, second or third grade. And then we moved from Houston proper up to the Woodlands, which is, like, an hour north of where we were. Mm. And uh, kind of like you, like, we just stopped going. You know, it mm. wasn't, like, uh, an ugly thing or it wasn't, like, any sort of negative event in our life. But, like, it just kind of wasn't a priority, you know. And then I remember... I remember, like, uh, I started going to junior high. Like I said, I was 12, 13, or whatever. And uh, I, I got invited to go to youth group, you know, by some of the, the team moms, you know. And the, the team mom, like, for our, for our football team invited me and, like, other kids to go come with them to, to the church there. And um, I remember it was, uh, 
yeah, I don't know. Like we started going and I remember being totally foreign, like what is a youth group? Like what is a youth group? And then like, okay, this is cool. These people seem cool. I don't know them, but it's it's fine, you know, and I didn't know like any of the youth group songs or games or like any of the hymns and things like we'd sing at church. Like it was like it was very fresh to me because we haven't been in like five years, you know. Totally. And and uh, then um, <clears throat> I remember I, I'll never forget this. Like especially now that I'm a musician, how funny this is. Like I remember being invited to go to youth choir, and I'm like, okay, choir. Like I don't even sing. Like this is lame. Like. Like, what year is this? Youth choir? Like, do I have to wear a robe? And, like, all this stuff. And it was so much more casual than that. And really, it was all it was was just, you know, kids who grew up in the church, like, coming together to sing worship songs every Sunday evening, you know? And then, like, once a year, we put on a concert or or we do a youth choir mission trip, you know, in the middle of the summer or something. And some of those trips are some of the greatest memories, like, I have. But it, uh, yeah, it's really fun. It's fun hearing your story and seeing so many so many parallels. And you're so right about there is that moment like where your faith becomes your own. You know, I think a lot of different denominations, different people put it different ways, but it's basically the same thing. You know, like where you are not just yourself like a a culturally behaving Christian, you know, but like you actually have faith, you know, in in, in God and what totally. he's doing in your life. Yeah, Something totally. I asked, uh do you remember a guy from college named Cody Cotton? Yeah, yeah, he was sure one do. of my guests a yeah. few episodes ago, yeah. and Cody's a great, great dude. He he was next to me in the dorm room next to me uh, at Clark Hall at TCU, and he self published a prayer journal, uh, which so I had him on a few weeks ago, and it was just a great interview. Um, but uh, one of the things I asked him that I would love to ask you is like, have you, if you as you sit and reflect on your life, you know, I assume you're like a year older than me, so I guess you're thirty six, thirty seven, you know. Um, as you reflect on your life to this point, um, can you see, could you reflect on for me, like what your faith in God has, has changed you or what has made you into, you know, like, you know, a lot of people's stories as they've grown in their faith, like, oh man, had I not, had the Lord not saved me, you know, I would be this person instead, you know, I'd be that person instead, you know? Yeah. I love that question. By the way, I, I love this. I love that kind of. I've been. I part of my job now is to interview people. I do so many interviews now for like for documentary filmmaking. I love that question. Oh goodness, I'm. <laughs> well, no, well, that's I, a good. No, that's so, no, no it's, pressure on my end. <laughs> yeah, no pressure. It's fun to have the mics. Hope flip. I can keep it's it up. fun to have it flipped around. So sorry, you know, sorry if I uh, if if I'm mumbling. No, it's okay. It's a, it's such a good it's such a good thought because it's sort of that like what might have been. You know, if you run the simulation yeah. and say, okay, what if this hadn't have happened in your life? I, you know, I was just telling. Yeah. The, the other day, I was chatting with the family, and we were talking about. Um, we're talking about gods and this idea that we all have our gods, whether we think we do or not. Um, yeah, right. Absolutely. And, and so there's, there's a void inside of us and we feel that we're going to fill it with something, you know, you're going to fill it with something. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. it could be, it could be a lot of things. It could be, you know, it could be, um, so many different things and some seem worse than others, but man, you, we're all, we all have our gods, whether we like it or not. And so I, I I'm, I thought you, you sent me this question a few days ago and I've been thinking about it. It's really hard to know. Um, but I do know that whatever that hole would have been filled with would have been, would have been bad. Like it would have been, yeah. it would have been, uh, I, I, I grew up with, you know, my parents, I grew up with pretty intense parents. I love them. They're amazing parents. Uh, you know, wouldn't, have, wouldn't really yeah. change a whole lot, but my parents had sort of a really strong moral foundation. So for me, I okay. run the simulation and I think how much, how much of my upbringing and sort of, sort of like cultural morality would have kept me within 
sort of the boundaries of society? Like how much did mm. faith play a role in keeping me out of trouble? You know, like I think it'd be easy mm. to be like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, if mm-hmm. I never accepted Jesus, like I, like I would have just been this, this, uh, you know, off the rails drinking and smoking and partying and, um, yeah, you would have been in a biker gang. Yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. I don't know if that's true for me. <laughs> um, yeah, but man, I can tell you that I would have filled that hole with something that, that I shouldn't have filled it with. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I, um, I will tell you like, um, my whole career thus far really has been spent in ministry. And so, mm-hmm. um, doing kingdom work, I, I, I definitely would not be doing kingdom work. Um, mm-hmm. and that's taken a really big place in my life. Um, and it takes, you know, because it's my, it's been my career, um, doing kingdom work, it's sort of come to be, um, it's come to define and guide my life. Um, and it's something I'm passionate about. And I, I yeah, it's like, Love that. you ask that question and it's so hard to like run that simulation in my mind. Like, um, but I can, I can tell you I would have filled it with something that it, that it should have been filled with, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I think that's a perfectly suitable answer. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's our society. I mean, it, 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 just the, just part of being a human, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, it's in our, in our sin nature, like is to fill these holes in our lives with something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really, I like how you said that, you know? What is, um, and so we, we yeah. would have filled those holes with lesser, with lesser gods, with idols, you know? Totally. Yeah, totally. And <clears throat> so I think like, it's interesting. Your question is interesting too. Cause I feel like, you know, um, I feel like we're also deeply flawed, you know, um, we are also yeah. deeply flawed as people. And so it, it's almost like whether I'm a, whether I'm, I'm a believer or not, I'm going to be deeply flawed. Right. And so it's yeah. almost like, because, um, because I have this relationship with Jesus, um, it's me acknowledging those flaws and me accepting the grace that, that Jesus has for me. Right. And so it's sort of this, like, I'm going to be flawed either way. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, and so it's, it's not Love like, that. it's not like, Oh, I accept Christ. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm driving around in a Rolls Royce. It doesn't, in it, biblically speaking, life gets a lot harder for a lot of people in the Bible. Like you look at what happens mm-hmm. when someone is a Jesus mm-hmm. follower and life does not always get better. And so I, I think there's sort of this temptation yeah. to imagine like this, um, this like, you know, I do think there's, there's, there's transformation. Um, but that doesn't always mean that life gets easier or better, you know? Certainly um, not. No, so, I think I think you're exactly right. I yeah. I, I heard um, there's an uh, I can't remember which account this is, but there's an Instagram account I follow that calls out you know certain moments of, of very public ministries when there's you know inadvertent or willing let's say mm. uh, heresies that are preached you know mm. and the, and the, this one this one there's a lot of ones out there that I think don't do it in a very loving way mm. you know that are kind of catty but like this this account I follow I can't remember which one it was but it was talking about it does things well in my mind, and mm-hmm. it, it talks about uh, the prosperity gospel. It's, to, it's some preacher talking about, you know, you know, once you come to know the Lord, like your life will get better, and you will become healthy if the God love if God loves right. you, you know, because you love Him, He's going to love you back, and He's going to bless you, and all your doors will be open, and you'll be rich and healthy and happy, and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and like the truth of the matter is, like, if that's was true, like God must have really hated Paul, <laughs> like, yeah, totally. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, yeah. like, like hated him. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we know that's not true. So, uh, I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, like the, the, I, I love too. like, this is, I was just telling my wife this a few days ago that, um, I've had this thread, this, this thread, not necessarily the prosperity gospel part, but the, mm. the, the part you, you said a few minutes ago, um, a hallmark of being a, 
a, a God fearing dad is, you know, admitting when times are hard, you know, admitting when you're struggling, admitting your weakness, realizing that you are weak, you are feeble, you know, and I think as your faith deepens, uh, you realize, I don't know, like Ryan, do you know Ryan McCarthy, by the way? I had him on a few episodes ago. He knows a lot of people from, totally. from, from, from the TCU days. Um, and he had this great line. He said, uh, you know, when you first become a Christian, like you think, oh, the deeper my faith gets, the better I become, you know, in following the word of God, I'm going to need him less and less. But then like, actually, as your faith grows and gets stronger, you realize you need him more and more. You know, so I, I really I that. appreciate that you, that you said that too. You know, it, it, you're spot on. You know, I think I, so. It's funny. Like I've had you and him, and yeah, at least that 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 line of thinking has come up with two or three things. I think the Lord is just trying to teach me something in that. Mm-hmm. You know, that that uh, not only is it okay to admit you're wrong, but like it, it's a way to minister to your family. You know, the, the mm-hmm. act of realizing your sin, your weakness, and and going to Him. You know, the the way, realizing like how you might have wronged your children in some certain, certain moment, or you said something harsh to your wife or whatever your sin totally. may be. Yeah. But that act of admitting your weakness, your sin and asking for forgiveness and repentance, mm-hmm. you know, and, and seeking repentance like it, I think, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I love hearing that, that that's going on in your life as well. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. So how did you go from, from the Denver area to TCU and tell me about like, yeah. I, 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 like I said, we were friends in college, but man, I I, I didn't know you as well as I should have. Um, You're good, man. And I, I I regret that. And so I want to know more about your time at TCU and how you got connected with Compassion. Oh man, you're good, dude. We I you know college is college is a whirlwind. So you're good, man. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. You're gracious. Thank you. Um. So yeah, so I did undergraduate at TCU, and um, I uh for me it's sort of a like I thought maybe I'd want to be a youth pastor. Um. And hmm. God bless youth pastors. You know, that was, I think there was a couple of years where I thought, oh man, I because I had a great youth pastor at the end of high school, right? And I was like, yeah, I could totally do this. This is important work. And, yeah. um, and then, you know, a couple of years later, I was like, yeah, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, that is not my calling. Not good out for this. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> that got me to TCU though, because I was pretty, pretty interested in, in at least keeping that door open at TCU. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, man, I, I was interested in film. It was like, do I want to go to LA? Do I want to do like you know? Do I want to go to USC mm-hmm. or Loyola Marymount or something? And and uh, I like the idea of being in Fort Worth. I love Fort Worth. I love TCU. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they it's a small thing, man. But they were giving cameras out to kids way early. Um, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, the, the idea that I wasn't going to sit in a classroom for like four years uh, was was super appealing to me. So uh, yeah, so I went to film school. It's kind of a, a dual film school religion kind of thing, and. Um, Really fell in love with like storytelling, um, but yeah. I, I had that sort of moment right at the end of college, like we all do probably, where it, where it's like, I just don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. Am I going to like a lot of my peers in graduating film school? They went to L.A. That's what you did. That's mm-hmm. what you did. That's what you do, right? It's like you, yeah, you go sleep yeah. on a couch and. Yeah, there there are several in my class. I did RTF classes too. Yeah. There are several who went to LA. You know, still yeah. some feels some still work there. Yeah, yeah totally. And, and you know, a lot of them like over time they drop, they kind of drop out, or they go do something else, or something changes. But man, I um, you know, so there was sort of a moment where I was like looking in that direction, and then and then I and then I decided to 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 go do something else for a lot of reasons. I, I had uh, 
you know, at the time I had a really big interest. I don't know how much you and I talked about this back in the day, but I had a really big interest in like foreign policy, uh, foreign pol- policy and foreign yeah, politics and stuff. It does and, ring a bell. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. And, um, so I, I was really interested in journalism. I had some friends that were Marines, um, that instead hmm. of going to college, they kind of went into the Marines. And, um, so I was interested in just studying more about foreign policy and, um, mm-hmm. and I kind of didn't feel, um, I didn't feel like God was calling me to do like the big studio filmmaking thing. So I didn't go to LA. I also had a girlfriend at the time who was pretty great. Who's, who's now my wife. Um, and she had a she had <laughs> small another, detail. Yeah, yeah. Small detail. She had another year of school. And so for me, it was like, ah, oh, like totally selfish thing. I was like, Oh, I don't want to go to California and be, you know, five States Never away mind. from, uh, from this person. And, and so, um, so I stayed in Dallas. I worked for like a little film studio. Um, and that was like in 2009. And I'm sure you remember the economy was like it tanked in 2009. It was terrible. Uh-huh. Um, yes. And so it felt like, I don't know about you, but it, man, it felt like it felt like we had the world in our hands, right? It's kind of how you feel. You have your college degree. You're like ready to go make a difference. You feel like you're, you're ready to go. You know everything. Yeah. And, and then not only is that like not true across the board, but – then like we get the slap in the face with the economy. So I had a couple of tough years. I had a couple of tough years, yeah. like, tw- like 2008 to 2010. Um, but, um, you know, I think it's, it's so true though. I look back and it's like total refinement in me. Yeah. Um, that was, it was, it was uncomfortable to go through. I was like unemployed for a chunk of time, tried to start my own business. I had to go back to waiting tables, um, after mm. college and, um, just humbling, just like a hard, a hard couple of years, man. And, um, I ended up getting a job on the East coast doing broadcast news. And so hmm. I like up, I didn't know anybody in Virginia, but I uprooted like my whole life, um, and moved to Virginia beach to work for the, to uh, chase this job, chasing this job. Yeah. Chasing this job is yeah. for CBN news. Um, and, hmm. um, Super humbling. Also, another experience of me not knowing anything. Again, feeling like I knew how to do filmmaking, and I got got into broadcast news and had my whole world flipped upside down. You know, I got paid like nothing hmm. to do it too. So I was, I was, <laughs> but but I was learning, and they gave me a shot. You know, that was probably like yeah. probably like two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and um, mm-hmm. and so that sort of started this journey of like kind of being exposed to ministry, doing filmmaking for ministry, doing storytelling for ministries. Um, and and doing news, getting to travel, getting a sense of like what that life is like, and that sort of started mm-hmm. a, a career on that on that path, and had some other jobs wow. after that, and but uh, that's kind of how it started, man. It's a little bumpy. That's though. cool. It's a little bumpy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. There's definitely some 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 uncertain times there. I definitely feel that. You know, my my story. I don't know if I ever told you. Like, you know, I went. To, I, I focus more on the radio side uh, mm-hmm. of the RTF program. You know, I always loved music and broadcasting and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, knew I didn't want to do like TV news or anything, but I wanted to be like a sports broadcaster. Mm-hmm. And so I did KTCU, you know, all four years and, you know, tried to help out with TCU baseball when I could and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And just loved, loved it, loved it. And um, I had an internship and then job offer from ESPN Radio uh, here in Dallas. Uh, and the, the, the job they offered was, you know, entry level nights and weekends. You know, it was on air talent, which is great. I was right. super excited about that, but it was nights and weekends and holidays. And so, like, my shift would have been, you know, 8 p.m. to 6 a, and, yeah. you know, every holiday and blah, 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 blah. And I remember talking to the guy who who basically I was going to be replacing, and he was going to be moving up, I guess. You know, the, the, uh, 
an opening had opened up in the chain, you know, and you all move right, on. That's right. just how radio works and a lot of jobs work. And he was just like, man, like you don't do this job because like I'd been dating my wife now for three, for a few years. And like, I knew that I, I we didn't know what her future was going to be like at the time. And we knew that she wanted to work, but like, I wanted to be able to make enough money that if she didn't want to work, she didn't have to work, you know? And the job they offered was like just a smidge better than like minimum wage, and yep. you know the guy told me he was like, "Dude, this is a job you do for ten years because you love the job. You know, like you've got to love going into the Cowboys locker room, and you've got to love going. You'd rather you, totally. you've got to be the kind of person who'd rather go to an NBA game on Christmas Day than be with your kids." And I'm like, "Bro, I'm not that person. Yeah. You know, I'm not that person." And like these alarm bells started going off, and so I sat on it for like a few more days and ended up turning the job down. Mm. Uh, finishing out my internship, you know, and, and that was that. And, you know, I won't go into the rest of it, but it's I, all that to say that like, yeah, there was that moment in my life as well, where I thought I had it all figured out. You know, I had the future, the straightforward path seemingly at hand, you yeah. know, and then it's fun to see how, how the Lord like has changed me and molded me to be a different person, you know, totally. like according to his will, like who he wanted me to be. Um, yeah. So how did how did you get connected with Compassion? It was is Compassion based mm-hmm. in Virginia? No, so they're they're in uh, Colorado Springs. They used to be in Chicago, but oh. they, they moved to the Springs years ago. So I moved. I actually moved. I grew up in the Spring in Colorado Springs, um, uh-huh. and then really like went for college and never came back. Right, and so um, mm-hmm. I remember calling my mom. I was in Virginia, and I remember calling my mom and saying, "Hey, you're never going to believe it." Um, I got this job with, this was like 2011. I was like 2012, Mm -hmm. maybe. Um, I got this job with compassion and she was so funny. There was a lot going on in my, my, uh, my, my, uh, my family at that point. But, um, she was funny. She was like, you're coming home. She's like, you're coming back to the Springs. You're moving (laughs) home. It was a killer job. Uh... It was a killer job. It was a super, it was a super cool job. And, um, I was at that point I was working for a disaster relief agency and I was like, I I love the work, but I was gone for like four weeks at a time. I would go on these deployments and would be living in disaster zones for like three or four weeks, um, sometimes longer. And, wow! And um, I was all you know, just it was kind of a hard season. I had just got married, um, mm-hmm. and so the first like kind of year of our marriage um, was 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 uh, was sort of colored um, through this lens of being gone constantly, and and also mm. having like twenty hour days. Um, was, and at the time I was like, I was trying to do my, um, my MPA. So I was also like doing school part time and it was just, I was, I was like mm-hmm. sleeping like three hours a night. It was really, really rough. And, um, I, I had some bosses that weren't the best. And, um, so yeah, so I got this job with compassion and just was blown away at the opportunity. Um, I actually, I actually flew out to interview for the job from new Orleans. I was living in new Orleans for like a month and flew out to, okay. out to the Springs to interview and then by the time I like landed back in New Orleans, um, I got a phone call and they, they offered me the job. So, but yeah, man, my, my parents were so pumped and my family was excited to, to have have us move back. And um, I, um, the first job at Compassion I had. So I've been in Compassion since since 2012. So it's been like 12 years. It's been like you know 11, 12 years now. Um, yeah. And uh, for the for those that are listening, like Compassion is a uh, child development organization. So. Um, they work in 28, 29, we're just expanding. So I think it's 29 countries, uh, they okay. uh, mostly low income, uh, countries. And so they do a lot of work through local churches to, um, mm. do child development. So it looks different everywhere, but, okay. um, yeah. So, so the first job I had with compassion was to like manage this documentary film program 
Um, and it was a super interesting job. Compassion had started like 20 years before, before like maybe the, the mid eighties, they had started to document, um, they'd started to capture video footage of kids growing up in these low income countries, places like, like mm-hmm. Uganda and Kenya and, Mm-hmm. Um, really these kids all over the world. And the, the goal was let's shoot video of them growing up every, every three to five years, we'll go visit this group of kids, kind of shoot video. And then in 20 years, we're going to have this like amazing archive of footage that we can use to, mm-hmm. to do marketing and stuff. Um, and so mm-hmm. when I started, they had just hit like 15 years. So the footage was, was mm-hmm. 15 years old at that point. And so they were trying to figure out like, what do we do with this? You know, how do we turn this into like stories that we can use to, to get people excited about child development? Um, mm-hmm. and the crazy thing is I started that first year, we made some killer films. We made some super, super fun films using this historic footage. And, um, year two, the films were like kind of the same They because we had, they had shot the same footage of the same kids every five years, very formulaic. And it was super mm-hmm. cool. But after like a year of making these little films, I kind of looked around and it was like, I think people need other films. Like we can't just make the same kind of film over and over, you know? Um, and mm-hmm. so that's where it started, started a journey for me. I actually thought I might leave compassion. Um, okay. I, 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 after that first year I went to my bosses and I said, Hey, I think we have to shut this thing down. Like, I don't think we should keep making these films. We made these great films. We're kind of done. I don't think we can just keep making these. And it was expensive. It was really expensive. Yeah. Um, and so at that point I, I thought, all right, like I'm kind of talking myself out of a job, right? I just, but it just wasn't right. really working. The system was a little broken, yeah. and so, um, so luckily I got to hang around. And over time, that kind of developed, and I kept doing a lot of humanitarian filmmaking, photography. Um, got to do a lot of traveling. Um, at some point, we started like a global marketing division, and so I got, you know, I got to like help out with with global Double. marketing at Compassion. And yeah, it's been a wild ride. Um, I've gotten to do, I don't know, I've probably done forty. 40 media trips over the years. So I've been to wow. almost every country where compassion works. I've gotten to see the program all over the world. Um, well, I saw your website. Yeah. It said six continents. I mean, Oh yeah. We've, we have tons <laughs> of travel. It, it's been, man, it's been such a blessing. It's been just a, a remarkable opportunity to see the world and to, um, to honestly, this is why I tell people to see how the church, like to see how churches are moving and serving kids all around the world, especially in low income countries that, don't have a lot of resources. The way the way the church is is sort of intervening yeah. in kids' lives. It's incredible. So yeah, it's been fun, man. Uh, yeah, I have, a, I have a big team now of, of storytellers, so I get to I get to lead some of um, some of the work they're doing. But um, yeah, really good team, fun work, and lots of lots of adventures over the years. That's cool. What what was the first job? The first on assignment? You know, your first boots on the ground location you went to, and what was that like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if I'll set some, con- so, yeah, so, so it was Ghana, so West Africa. I went to Ghana. It was my first compassion trip. I was pretty much brand new. And had you been to Africa at all? I never. No, first first time on the continent. Um, mm-hmm. And um, and Ghana has has when you look at sort of like the development metrics for Ghana, it's really low. If you look sort of like of the least developed places where there's a lot of a lot of really tragic things happening. Ghana shows up okay. on the lists. It's it's actually made some good progress over the last you know decade. But um, that's great. But um, man, I, for context too, I'd done a lot of disaster stuff, right? So I was coming out of a job where I was like living in and out of disasters. But um, yeah, I spent three weeks in Ghana. I think I, think I remember yeah. you. I think I remember you going to Haiti at some point. Uh, I remember you posting a, a video you made in Haiti. Was that with the disaster relief or is that with compassion? 
Yeah. Have you, am, I, am I correct remembering that? Or I think yeah, yeah. I, so so I've, been to Haiti, I've been to Haiti a few times, um, but um, I did not go during the earthquake. So I was close to going. Okay, that's... Yeah, I was close because I was working for CBN News at the time, um, and they we were they were sending news photographers to Haiti, um, but it was real it was really unstable, and they they I was pretty green still at that point. They they sent the and they they should have they should have sent the way more experienced uh, photographers to do that. So, but eventually hmm. I would go to Haiti to do more disaster stuff and to to report on this stuff. But um, but yeah, my first trip was to Ghana and um, and. Uh, just a just a really beautiful country. Um, so it sits right, sort of on the the curve of West Africa. Um, a lot of rich history. Um, the the kind of official business language is English there. So there's a lot of English that's spoken. Really great sort of mm-hmm. first uh, first assignment to get with compassion. But I spent three weeks, and it was the first time I had ever seen child poverty um, at, at that level. Um, I, mm. I, I, I seen a lot at that point in disasters, people that have lost everything and, um, but seeing children suffering from that sort of extreme level of vulnerability was, was difficult. And, you know, it's not, not the last time I saw it, but it was the first time. And I think, yeah. I think coming home from that trip, I remember talking a lot with my wife and processing about, about what we had seen and the stories we had told and, um, was a lot, was a lot. But it, it helped me – I think it helped stir my heart uh, for the work that I was doing for kids. Um, and I think too you, you – at least for me, um, it's really helpful. It's really helpful to see the – what's on the line, what's at stake in the work that I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, if I Like it was sort of that thing of if I do my work well, wow, look at what can happen. If I don't do yeah. my work well um, – Look at yeah, look at the vulnerabilities that the kids are facing. So, man, so it was an, it was an intense trip, but um, um, but yeah, it was a, it was a good kind of first start, and and um, you know, over the over the years, I've I've been back and have have been to a lot of countries in West and East Africa. But that that trip still stands out to me. There's a lot of stories in my mind, um, just things that um, things that that kind of connected the dots for me in, in terms of my own calling and and kids mm-hmm. and serving serving children in the kingdom. So, um. So wow. yeah, it's a cool trip. That's amazing. What uh, what trip is is most memorable in your mind as you think back? I mean, I guess other than that one, because <laughs> I imagine the first it would wake you up. You know. Yeah, you know it's funny. They're, every trip's a little different. Um, so in the, uh, this last December, I went to Kenya, um, and so we spent time um, in sort of the very southern part and the northern part. Well, actually, it's central northern part of Kenya, um, mm-hmm. and. Even even that trip, like it's just still on my mind because I was there. Not it was really not that long ago. We spent a few weeks there, or maybe it's just maybe it was actually like a week. But um, mm-hmm. huge uh, food crisis. There's really intense drought happening in Kenya, and so mm-hmm. we met family after family after family that had lost a lot of Maasai communities had lost all their cattle. Uh, they couldn't grow mm-hmm. any crops. They couldn't feed their cattle, and so you know I was meeting families mm-hmm. who over the last year had lost hundreds, uh, hundreds of count of cattle and sheep and goats. And, um, and so, so mm. like families really, really struggling to eat. And, um, so even that trip stands out to me. It was, was a really intense trip. Um, and to see sort of how the food crisis is affecting families in Kenya was pretty intense, but also such an honor to hang out with families to hear. And they were really happy to share. They're really happy to tell their stories and they want the world to know sort of what's happening. Um, and, um, mm. 
yeah, huge honor to be there and have cameras and to take photos and make videos and help people like see it, you know, like, like yeah. my, my mom and dad, like, you know, they're never going to go to Kenya. They're never going to go to central Kenya and see, see the food crisis. And so I, I think, um, so, so man, like, yeah, it's, this is a trip not long ago, but, uh, there's so many trips in my mind that, that, um, are just, are for me special for different reasons, different, incredible mm-hmm. stories over the years, p- stories of resilience. And, um, you know, one story that stands out to me specifically was from Rwanda. I met a young, young man named method and he had survived the mm-hmm. genocide in Rwanda. And so we got mm. to spend like four or five days with him, shooting his story, asking him questions, seeing sort of what his life was like. And, um, really, really powerful, the testimony he has and the vulnerability that he, he had to share a story with us. So, man, I, I, every trip is just incredible. I'm, I'm still just blown away by, um, people and, and in the midst of like really, really hard things, people are so resilient and you, you Mm -hmm. see churches all over the world who are just stepping up to serve people in their communities. It's so cool. So man, I, I did yeah. one of, you know, here's a weird trip. We did a weird trip to Thailand. Uh, do you remember those kids were stuck in the cave? Um, yes. So one of those, yeah. one of those kids was in the compassion program. So we, um, we did a bunch of storytelling. And so, um, maybe a few months after, after he had gotten out of the cave, you know, maybe it was maybe only like maybe three or four weeks after, after it had kind of resolved. Um, we went and did, did a little story on him. Um, and, uh, and that was cool to, to sort of tie like this big news event to this one person, to his story, to his experience, um, and to see the cave in person. Like that was kind of, that was kind of a unique trip. That was, that was some years ago now, but, Mm -hmm. um, so man, yeah, lots, lots of cool stories and experiences over the years. Man, that's really, that's really amazing that you've had so many opportunities, you know, so many, so many rare opportunities. I struggle for the right word. I, I suppose rare is the right opportunity, at least in the American context. You know, like you say, like I, I've never, I've never been to Africa. You know, and I've never, I've only been to Singapore in Asia, and Singapore is very affluent. You know, <laughs> I mean, granted, there are lots of people there who are sure. not so affluent, but um, <clears throat> it's um, what. So when when did you? I'm trying to think about how I want to direct this like now when did you become a father and uh Mm -hmm. you said you've been married for about 12 years now is that correct yeah yeah that's it yeah (laughs) yeah so so when did you become a and that nuts yeah i mean i know it's weird to think about (laughs) yeah 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 Yeah, my wife and i celebrate lucky number 13 this year so it's (laughs) yeah it's it's weird yeah it's cool yeah so so when did you become a father and and how has that how has that been interwoven into your story with compassion and your work there? And yeah, and yeah. Do you bring do you bring the work home with you? You know, and yeah, there, I, I imagine. I don't know. I just imagine it's such a shock. You know, totally. coming from Ghana back back home to Colorado. Like, oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. The there's huge culture shock. Um, and um, I've got I, you know at this point I've gotten quite used to it. But but for years I really struggled because like I would come home from trips and like. The day, two days before, I was sitting in the you know the jungles of Peru, and now I'm back home, like s- sitting with my wife or with friends, and they w- they would ask like, "How was your trip? Like, you know, what was Peru like?" And and you know, like, um, <laughs> it's hard because how it's, can you? Yeah, it's like how do you even where do you and and nobody really wants to hear you know the stories. I, when I travel, I don't go to like the touristy places, right? So it's it's like right. yeah. I didn't go to Machu Picchu, you know, and so. So when people are like, how is Peru? What yeah. flashes in my mind is like all of these sometimes pretty intense stories. Um, 
And it's like, you, you don't, I don't know if you want to hear this story at a dinner, like at our dinner, dinner tables, we're hanging out with other couples, you know, like it's, it's not, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah, it's hard. It's hard because they're important stories, but they're also, um, they can be hard to articulate. And, it, and there's also, I'm sure there's some processing that happens. And, um, also my job no is doubt. to tell stories. And so, you know, I, I don't just like, t- I can't just turn it off. There's sort of an element of empathy that goes with the work. And so it's really, it is important for me. Um, to experience things and to not just kind of come at it in a shutdown cold way. Right. And so mm-hmm. the, the, um, the more empathetic I am, I find the better the stories are and the better storytelling that I do. And, um, but yeah, it is hard. It is hard. And I've, I've gotten more used to it over the years. Um, but, but man, still, yeah. I still come across stories and, and travel that just like, just floors me. Um, hmm. I, hmm. so, so being a dad, oh man, I love being a dad for me. It was a really weird entry point though. So I'll, I'll well, I remember, yeah. I remember seeing some things on Facebook. If you'll forgive me, I mean, I didn't, it's not like I stalked you. We're friends, but it's like, you know, <laughs> I, I remember there were some, some elements to your story into parenthood that yeah. were maybe different from the norm. Yeah, totally. Uh, if it's the best way I know how to put it. Could you, could you walk me through that? Yeah, totally, man. Um, so, so we turned, Kind of, we were right, right about 30. My wife and I were 30. We didn't have kids yet. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't really even on the radar yet for us. Um, and so we we really um, we kind of had a season of our lives where we were working. We would come home. We would watch Netflix. You know, we would like eat out. Life was pretty good. We had two incomes. Yeah. I had a cute little dog, yeah. you know, and it was like, we're doing, we're doing yeah, sweet. dual income, no kids. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We were paying off bills. It was, it was really wonderful. It was, we would just do whatever we wanted, you know, like I mm-hmm. remember once just being sleepy in like a Lowe's parking lot and we were like, Hey, let's just take a nap in the Lowe's parking lot. Right. Like it's that sort of like, <laughs> um, I can't imagine that now, but I don't think that's what people think when they think dual income, no kids, <laughs> but um, you do you, man. <laughs> um, but, uh, man, we, we felt really, we had a point where we got really convicted about it. And we, um, my wife, my wife's an English teacher, so she teaches high school English. Um, and so we were both having these experiences where I would go on trips. Um, and I came back from a particularly hard trip in Thailand where we, we were, um, interviewing stateless, uh, people, Karen, um, the, a Karen tribe that had come across the border from Myanmar into Thailand. And so we were interviewing mm-hmm. a lot of people mm-hmm. who were essentially refugees from war and, and they were stateless. And a lot of them, their parents would sort of disappear. So the parents would, would leave the kids and go work in cities, try to find work somewhere. So you, you, you'd see these, like these little villages filled with, with kids with no parents. And, um, mm-hmm. And so I came back from that trip really blown away at the lack of – at the need for sort of parental support. And I, I felt like after that trip, you know, I, I did my storytelling. I took the photos and we made some videos and it was imp- – we did important work. And, and the churches were doing and doing an incredible job intervening in these kids' lives. But mm-hmm. I came back feeling like I got to do more, you know. Um, mm. and, and so – I love seeing how much this matters to you. <laughs> yeah. It's Tell, no, it's good. Man. It, it makes me emotional because I care about it so much. Um, I love my, it. Uh, so my wife was teaching high school kids, right? And she had these experiences where um, these kids would be just right outside of of, um, of being able to help them. And so 
you know, I was having these mm. experiences seeing these kids who needed parents and she, as a teacher, there was only so much she could do in the classroom. Right. And so we, yeah. um, we went to this, um, this, uh, foster agency and we said, Hey, we want to do foster care. Um, and they said, great. Like, you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of couples come in and do this. It's great. And, you know, they showed us a video and like gave us a tour of the little agency and, um, and they said, well, like, what age, what do you, like, what are you interested in? Why do you want to do foster care? You know? And I think, you know, and everyone's got their own calling and sort of mission when they do that work for us, it was teenagers. Yeah. And so we hmm. said, yeah, we were kind of interested in like teenagers and, uh, love that. And even, even to this day, I still remember the reactions that we would get. People were like, are you sure? Like, really? You want to, are you sure? You foster teenagers, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, yeah, not, not infants, yeah, not like, newborns. You yeah. You know, um, we we're like, yeah, teenagers. And we, we had originally thought teen boys. Um, and so at the time we were yeah. like, yeah, we were like interested in fostering teen boys. And, um, and, uh, yes, we got, we got, to, we moved houses. We got a slightly bigger house. We kind of got, got a house ready. We did about a year of like certification and training and got licensed. And, and that started a four year, mm. about a four or five year journey of foster care for us. And, um, mm. we had, uh, just a handful of long-term placements, um, teen girls that would come mm. and, um, would live with us kind of on and off over the years. And, um, so we, mm -hmm. just a few years ago, we actually, we actually, um, let our license expire and stopped doing it, but we ended up adopting, um, we ended up adopting one of our, our, uh, foster daughters. Uh, and so when she turned wow. 18, um, she was sort of, she was sort of aging out of the system. She had been in and out of our home a few times and, and, um, she was sort of aging out of the foster care system. And, um, we just asked her, do you, like you're going to be forever a part of our family, but do you want to be adopted? Do you not? It's up to you, but you know, either way you're part of yeah. our family, but what do you want? And she wanted to be adopted. So, um, so mm. we actually did an adult Praise adoption, God. which was awesome. So, so yeah, I, um, and that was the same around the same time that we started to have our own, um, bio kids. So okay. yeah, so kind of, the, we did this foster care thing for about four years, five years. And, uh, it mm. was brutal. It was so hard. So amazing. It, you know, I describe it as just the, the mo most insane paradox scary, so joyful, so amazing, so hard. Like it was everything and just crammed yeah. into, you know, crammed inside the four walls of our home and, um, but felt super called to it and feel really good about, about the love and, and impact we had in, in a handful of girls' lives. And, um, yes, yeah, so we, so we did foster, we fostered teen girls, man. I would have never, you know, I would have never thought, yeah. you know, if you would come to me, you didn't have that on your, no, man, if you would come to me at TCU in a time machine <laughs> and be like, Hey, you're going to, you know, you're going to foster teenage girls. I'd be like, yeah, that's funny. You know, yeah, but, uh, yeah, but no man, kidding. we, we, we really felt called to do it. We felt like we couldn't quite get there with our jobs. We weren't quite getting the impact mm -hmm. we wanted with our jobs and it, we just felt really called to it. So, so yeah, I, I have, mm. so that's, that's weird entry point. That's, that's how I really became a dad is fostering teen girls. Um, mm. and so now I have, I have a son who's four, a uh, Lyle, and then I okay. have a daughter who's almost two Camille and then I have a mm -hmm. 21 year old. And so, um, so <laughs> I love people that. are, you know, when people, people are like, you know, when I tell them on an airplane or, you know, people are like, well, how old are your kids? And I tell them, they're just, they go cross-eyed. They're like, what, what is happening? You've got 20, you know. do, you st do you start with 21 and go down from there <laughs> I just do. to see the huge gap? Yeah, I do. I'm like, I got 21 year old and then I got a four year old and a two and they're like, they're just blown away. Um, man, it, it's cool though. Cause a lot, you actually be, you'd be surprised how many people have, everybody's family's different. And so it's a really cool opportunity yeah. to, um, to, to, to sort of, sort of, uh, represent and, and relate to people. And you'd be shocked how many people have that sort of like, 
you know, either fam- either either like families that it, that have split and rejoined and different ages, and a lot of people do foster care. Mm-hmm. So it, it's um, yeah, it, it's mm-hmm. um, it's so fun, it's so fun. Uh, but I will say, I'm playing on the parent in the parenting world. I'm playing on both sides of the extreme, like parenting yeah. a 21 year old and then a four year old. So I you're a part empty nester. It's yeah, kind of interesting. It's so weird. It's so weird. <laughs> but it's so fun and totally different parenting strategies. But it's good. D- does your 21 year old live with you now? She did. She did. So you know, she- um, she's got she. As you can imagine, she's got a lot. She's got a lot in her past, a lot in her story, and. Um, yeah, absolutely. And at her age, at 21, I don't know if you – at 21, I wasn't the night – I wasn't like the greatest guy at 21. No one is. At 21, you're kind no, of you – know, I wasn't either. All 21-year-olds kind of have that element of like, you know, they're still figuring out who they are. That's a nice way to put it. So she's mm-hmm. she's figuring mm-hmm. out who she is and what she wants to do and who she wants to be and <clears throat> what she wants her life to look like. And so, yeah. So she uh, she was living living at home for a while and, and then she found a found mm-hmm. a different place. So um, – but um, I see. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. It's been it's been a wild it, it's, ride. It's such a the story of fostering is such such a beautiful thing. I I have often wondered if I'm cut out for it. You know, like the emotional the emotional significance yeah, of that. Yeah. You know, like the whole thing is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like it's like it's interesting to me that a filmmaker would foster because the story of fostering would make a great film. Mm-hmm. You know, like just the highs and the lows. It's just such a like a great drama. You know, and. Uh, and also, like, I know you've, as a Christian, like, you've probably heard the the cliche, but it's true. Like, we are adopted sons and daughters of, of God. Totally. You know? Mm-hmm. And and so, <clears throat> the fact that you were able to, you and your wife were able to, you were called off of your sofa, for better or for mm-hmm. worse, you know, to to be a parent for... How old was she whenever y'all first got connected? Yeah, she was um, – it was the last day of her 14th year. So she came into our home. Wow. The next day she turned 15. Um, wow. It was – you know what? It was – honestly, it was terrifying to to go from having no kids, essentially an empty house, to having like a, a wild-haired 14-year-old that we had never met. Um, show, mm-hmm. show yeah, it's not not like you had it number of crazy. meetings like beforehand. That first night, that first yeah. night is like going to sleep. You're like, oh my god! There's like, there's a, there's a new person in this house. There is some, it is, it's, it's, it was a roller coaster, man. But, um, but yeah, you know, I, um, one thing that was important to me is, is a lot of the kids we met over the years and, and got to love on. They all come. They all came with a lot. With a lot, they came with their own stories, a lot of their own trauma, and, um, and we got to sort of represent Jesus. And and love to them, we got to yeah. correct some of some of the the wrong things they had seen, and and you know, mm. I don't know about you, but for me, I think it's been clear in my life that it's it's I see I see my heavenly Father often through the lens of my earthly father, right? Um, mm-hmm. And there's Same. there's good and bad in that, and it's that's a that's a big mm-hmm. responsibility as a dad, by the way. Um, yeah. But I I love the opportunity to f- foster kids who who uh, I got to to do my very best, not perfect, but to do my very best to sort of represent uh, something that's closer on the spectrum um, of of our heavenly Father. And again, so far from perfect, mm-hmm. but just just amazing. Like when right. you when you care about a kid, when you love on a kid, I uh, just it's mm-hmm. insane the the amount of difference you make in a kid's life. Like it's yeah. so crazy. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's fun and fun that you have an older boy and a younger girl. That's that's my makeup as well. My son is five and my daughter's two. Cool. And he's he starts kindergarten on Wednesday. Oh, good. In just three or four days. I'm I'm freaking out. How's he? <laughs> how's honest. he doing? Is he feel like, is he feeling pretty good about it? 
What's his name? Oh, his name is Sam. Yeah. Uh, he's Samuel. He's gonna he's gonna do great. Okay. He's gonna do really really great. You know, we we got meet the teacher coming up on Monday. Okay. Um, <clears throat> really blessed to be connected to the school. We're gonna have him in, and it just uh, I don't know. He's he's gonna do great. You know, he's a, he's just he loves to learn. He's already like. Mm-hmm. We've been working through like how to read, you know, at home, like a little homeschool book on like how to read. So he's got a little bit of a leg up there already, yeah. and uh, he's so mechanically inclined. But he's also like artistic yeah. too. Like he's just—it's amazing to see. You know, I'm sure you've seen this with with your youngest too, especially like how how your kids are a blend of mm-hmm. you and your wife, um, for better and worse. You know, um, totally. Uh, I don't. I, I don't know. Yeah. It's it's just been really fun. It's been really really fun to see him and I. Dude, I'm just so excited to hear uh, hear your story, hear your story, man. Just to see the Lord's goodness through that, and see how like He has changed you from you know, like you say, like a, a selfish know-it-all 21 year old to uh, you know a guy who I, I I think your work is just so important. Like it, I, I as a Christian, as a guy who's been on you know a few mission trips, mm-hmm. I've been to Belize a few times, uh, and. And supported missionaries all around the world at times, but <clears throat> I tend to think of the church as an American thing, mm. you know, mm-hmm. as an English-speaking thing. I remember being struck, like, it's not often these days, like, that I'm really stopped down, like, I watch YouTube all the time, but, like, I'm not, where I stop down and, like, I'm really, like, you know, really plugged into something that's that, that's being shown on the screen. I, I remember stumbling across this video on YouTube like five years ago, mm-hmm. six years ago, maybe it was longer ago, I don't know, of <clears throat> some worship service like that had happened where they were singing a, a beautiful hymn, but it had like worship teams, vocal teams it is. There's one band, but it's vo- different vocalists seeing lines out of this one hymn, you know, I don't remember which song it was. Maybe it was like it as well or something, you know, or Holy, Holy, Holy or something. But like there was the Americans and then there were the British and then there were the French, but then there were also the Ghanans and then the Koreans and the Australians and the Indians and, you know, the people from, from Israel. And like, it, it was just fascinating. Like it, man, like I, that is a perspective that I don't have. And I think that I don't, I mean, I have, but I don't have it well enough. I think I, I wish I had a better perspective of the global church, you know. And so I think it's really, really cool that you have had so many opportunities with compassion and in your life to to see that the truth of the gospel is not just American, you know. Totally. Our, 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 you know, yeah, like totally. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how else to say it. I wish I had a better. I wish I was more eloquent in the way that I explained that. No, but, I totally get that. Um, the man, the global church is alive and well, right? It's it's um, it's 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 um, it's a big job. It's a big big job. Um, when you look at what what uh, the church is called to do, the big C church is called to do. Um, mm-hmm. but I got to tell you, I see, I see when I travel all around the world, I see, I see people who are absolutely listening and following God and the calling that he has on their lives and the way they're serving children and communities. And like, it's, and in some ways it looks really different, but then in other ways it's mm-hmm. the same, you know, in other ways it's the exact same. Uh, and, and you'd be shocked at the similarities between a church in a village in Western Africa and, and your home mm-hmm. church, 
you'd, you'd sit there really? and be like, oh man, like there's some, that's crazy. Some of these similarities, right. And, and uh, but obviously some differences too, that's interesting. But man, I think, um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's so cool to see. It's so cool to see the differences, but also, also the similarities. So yeah, it's neat. Yeah. It, it speaks to, I had a conversation with, with a gentleman this week about, uh, not on the podcast, but just at church about how the word of God is living and active, you know? And if the word of God was not living and active, I feel like it wouldn't, tra- like, I don't know how to say this, like, it wouldn't translate so well, mm. or like, you know what I mean? Like, it wouldn't have be so impactful on other continents. It wouldn't have been impactful in America, you know, because sure. obviously it wasn't written in America, you know? And so, um, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I just, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, th- I really appreciate your global perspective yeah. on this, uh, and I think it's, I think it's really cool. I just want to continue to encourage you and your work, man. Uh, you do Thanks, such man. important work. I want to ask you, um, you're welcome. I want to ask you, what, I want to back up. I should have asked you this a long time ago. What is child development? It's a term I've heard you use a few times. Um, to like, to like, as graciously as you can, like, what separates like compassion from like World Vision or like some of these other larger international groups or the Red Cross or things like that? You know, like, uh, yeah. I want to know more about compassion and their mission and like what my listeners could, you know, I don't know. I want to teach my listeners more about what compassion yeah, is. Totally, totally. My um my family just came back from a walk by the way so you might get there my oh, office okay. is right is right in front of the family room so you might get like some kid ambiance in the back but that's perfect for uh, when we're talking about child yeah, development it's perfect for this podcast yeah, you're yeah, good you go. you're good um <laughs> the uh yeah so 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 compassion works through local churches and so what what we what what you'll find is we we work in really low income countries and and what you what mm-hmm. you find in those countries is when families and children are experiencing poverty. Uh, really extreme poverty. We're talking like less mm-hmm. than a dollar a day. Um, yeah, they, like real poverty. Yeah, yeah. they, they um, are really vulnerable to a lot. Uh, things that you and I would probably never really see here in the United States. Could, um, could you give some examples? Yeah. So things like child labor, um, human trafficking, uh, death from really mm. preventable diseases like malaria. Mm. Um, you see, um, yeah, you see uh, a, lot of, a lot of neglect. Um, and, and when we talk about mm. poverty, we often talk about it. Yes, it's so. Yes, it's sort of physical. Uh, yes, it's mental. Um, but you also have sort of a spiritual poverty too. That, you know, when, when people around, mm. when you're growing up in a slum in in Nairobi, for example, you, you're really limited in what you believe you can be someday. And so you often find mm. uh, you often find kids who are almost incapable of imagining a life outside of poverty. And so, so just being able to open the door and say, Hey, we're going to cover your school face. Hey, we're going to supplement your nutrition. Um, we're going to sort of give you the gospel and do some spiritual development. Um, you know, Mm -hmm. these things are incredibly impactful for kids Mm -hmm. and, and also too, we do a lot of intervention. So if children go missing or, uh, you know, if parents get tricked into something and all of a sudden, um, a kid's not showing up to the compassion program at a church, we know it. And so we talk a lot about just Mm. if if kids are, if kids can be known, loved, um, and protected, then we find that their outcomes are a lot better later in life, just to be totally honest. And, and, um, and if they don't have those things, makes perfect sense. Then, then the outcomes are not good, um, and so, so yeah, mm. man, we we do. Uh, it looks a little different at different ages, but it, from from basically uh, early infancy, even before that, we have a program for mothers who are expecting. But um, from from that point, all the way to like eighteen, nineteen, twenty, in some cases, I will help kids in college wow. with vocational training, and so so it really is like 
really is that zero all the way to like 18 or 19. We're helping, we're helping kids and helping them with what, what they need in their communities. And, and, uh, it's hard to talk about cause it looks a little different everywhere. You know, like what, what kids need yeah. in Indonesia looks a little different than what kids need in the Philippines. And, and yeah, so one size does not fit all, but yeah. you know, that just to connect it to local <laughs> churches, that's why working through local churches is just killer because, um, you know, you know who knows what's going on in the community is a pastor. The pastor always knows what's going down in the community. And so when we go to a pastor and say, okay, tell us about the kids here. What do they need? What's going on in their lives? What challenges are families facing? And um, pastors always, always um, have really great insight and can help us navigate that in terms of development. So um, is that a good answer? I live in this world. So I, I think wanna, it's great. I want to check in and make sure I'm not using too much <laughs> jargon. But yeah. No, I appreciate it. No, I would definitely ask you to define things, but I think that's great. Good. I think that makes a perfect sense. Have you have you had multiple encounters with the same child like over the course of years? Have you been able to track and see like certain kid at say age six and again at age eight and like see? I'm sure I know you take. You, I know your company's been doing this work for like a long time. I'm just curious yeah. if you have. Yeah, yeah, I trust you when you say that compassion tracks these kids. But like, have you personally? Yeah, totally. Um. I know it's a podcast, so so for people who can't see my face, I'm like thinking, I'm like looking up at the ceiling, thinking. No, um, yeah, no. yeah. I I have met a few kids over the years. Um, I I think uh, usually the kids that I've met over and over tend to be really quite successful. So so there are some kids mm. who I met when they were like 13, 14, and, and are now in their early twenties, and who are who are killing it, who are mm. doing awesome, who have started their own ministries, their own businesses, who. Um, are getting wow. into politics who are in, in ministry. Uh, so like, um, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's, it's only been about 12 years. And so that's probably the greatest range is like that 13 to 23, 24. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. But, um, yeah. And, and we have some really successful kids who are in our program who are now members of governments and who are very influential now, um, who are doctors wow. and brain surgeons. And we also have people who, are, are, are making it. We have kids that come out of our program who they got enough education and they're the candlestick makers. They're the welders. They're the, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. electricians and they're providing for the families. And that's cool too. Um, and that's absolutely wonderful. So we yeah. kind of have that full spectrum and, and it's fun to hear that, you know, brain surgeons are great and we have some of those. Um, but we also have some plumbers who are putting food on the table and who are loving on their families and, and, um, yeah, and are making it. And and compared to what they had when they were kids and the trauma they experienced as, as kids, like amazing, really incredible, really incredible stories. So that's awesome. Oh, I know we're at an hour right now. I want to ask you two quick questions before we get into some fun stuff, and I'll let you get on back to your to your your Friday evening with your family. Um, thank you, by the way, for for spending so much time oh, with you me bet, man. at such short notice. Um, as I think about like your job, like I think about, uh, and I think about like this podcast, I think the, the defiant dad podcast. Like I, I think what I wanted to ask you is like, is your experience overseas, um, <clears throat> has that shaped the way that you parent, say your youngest too, you know, like, it, it, do you have those, um, those experiences, that perspective of like, Hey, like, you know, this, like, there's always the joke. It's not like a joke, but like, hey, you need to eat your peas because there's kids in Ghana who are starving. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, maybe not so cliche, but like, are there things like that where you're like, maybe, maybe not at your kids, you're so, so young, but like, are there things in your mind like, man, one day I'm going to teach my mm. kids about this? Yeah. Anything along those lines? I'd love to hear. Yeah, yeah totally. I'd love to hear from it's you. It's such a good question. And, and 
I could give you countless examples of how that sort of, you know, runs into my sort of experience as a dad. Um, but I, I think there's, there's one thing years ago, I w- was doing like a, like a, f- a film series with Donald Miller and he tells this really great story of a family friend of his who had teenagers and his, mm-hmm. this dad was really struggling with his teenagers and, um, and he couldn't get the teenagers to like, you know, do the basics and was just really struggling. And Donald Miller said, Hey, what if you, what if you told them that instead of iPads or Christmas money or like, take a big chunk of money, take it and take it from them and tell them that you're going to partially fund a well, we're going to take that money. We're going to put a little bit towards a well. And then as a family, mm-hmm. we're going to sit and, and for a couple nights a week, we're going to fundraise the rest of the money. We're going to, we're going to hustle. We're going to call family. This will be our family thing. And we're going to fund a well. And well, you know, wells are expensive. Um, and so yeah. this family got into it. And I, I think, I think that's a really great illustration. And, the, and, and his, you know, he goes on in the story and says his, his teenagers kind of woke up, right? You, pro, you provide that challenge and that perspective of action. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you give them a real world thing to care about some kind of, you know, clean water is a huge deal. Something we just turn our faucet on, we get clean water, right? But, but um, yeah, don't even think about it, man. Like in some countries, that kills people, and and so um, not having clean water can 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 kill people, and and yeah. and so challenging a family and letting them see that, and then as a family making it a cause, go if something that your whole family can get on board with, and go after a cause, and, and put your faith into action, and put something on the line, make it interesting and exciting and adventurous for your kids. Um, and, uh, and model that I think it's important to model that. Yeah. And so yeah, I've got young kids, you know, I've got my 21 year old, but, um, for my, for my younger, for my younger kids, absolutely. It's part of our, our family. It's part of our values. Um, it's not mm. just talking about it. It's doing it and, and sometimes doing it at mm. sacrifice to us and, and seeing and letting our kids see that and, and model that. Um, so that's just one thing that comes to mind and, and something I'm really passionate about, um, but man, if life's not very exciting, make it exciting for your kids. You know, go fight for something and let them see that. Um, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I think you know. It's, I love that. I, I've been on a lot of trips, man. Where where um, I've been in a village at dusk and like the sun is beautiful, but there's also really intense stuff happening uh, post conflict and refugee camps. And there's great beauty, but there's also great suffering in the world. And and often I'm left standing there by myself with a camera and I think to myself, I wish I could, I wish I could have like my kids. I wish my family could be here because this would change them. This would stir action in their hearts. Right. Um, and so I'll, I'll continue to look for opportunities to do that in safe ways. Uh, and, and when my, when my, you know, when my kids are old enough and, and, uh, and it's the right opportunity, I'm not going to hesitate to, to, um, show, show them what, what the world looks like and, and expose them to some of the injustice in the world and, um, mm. do that in a responsible, safe way. But but um, but I don't think I'm gonna hide that from my kids. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's beautiful, and I wish you all the best in that. I think that's a, a very important uh, and admirable goal. I think that's cool, man. Um, <clears throat> wanted to ask you something. I ask all my guests: What does the word "defiant" mean to you? When you think of the Defiant Dad podcast? Oh, I totally cheated. I, can I give you a cheating answer? I guess if you have to, yeah. <laughs> I go. I well, I'm a, I'm an etymology nerd. Is that the right? Yeah, that etymology. Yeah. Word. So I went and looked up the etymology the, of the word defiant. Um, I'm curious. Yeah, that's great. And, um, and the one there's because it, it's old French, right? It's like an old French word, and it's been around for a long time. The word defiant. Um, hmm. Okay. And uh, there's one thing I found really interesting about it. 
And it's that the word defiance actually has, it was you, it's not so much today, but a long time ago, it was used to sort of renounce faith. So hmm. defiance actually had back in like the 1300s, 1400s, it was sort of defiance was actually to renounce one's faith. Um, and I love hmm. the idea that as dads, um, we're actually doing some sort of renouncing of, of things that, that sh- we shouldn't be um, united with or sort of uh, uh, aligned to. We shouldn't have allegiance with certain things. And I think that defiance is really important for us as dads to pause and say, what am I about? And what am I not about? And how can I represent mm-hmm. that to my to my family? Um, and do my very, very best at that. And we're not perfect, but b- to be defiant in that and say, I'm going to sort of unalign myself. I'm going to detach myself from this thing that I shouldn't be attached to. And so, yeah, man, I, I think, I think um, that kind of stood out to me. But I also cheated. So I'm sorry for – I. No, maybe you want an off the cuff answer. That's cheating. You can if if no, if that's cheating, you can cheat every time. That's the most beautiful answer to that question I've heard yet. Um, and I love that man. Like I, the, the whole point of being a mindful dad. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so easy to go through the motions. It's easy to get your job, wake up, drink your coffee, go to work, come home, get your pay, kiss your wife and kids goodnight, repeat. You totally. know, and then Saturday, live it up a bit more. Sunday, rest a bit, and then repeat. And next thing you know, 18 years have gone by and your kids may have learned something from you or they've learned your habits and, you know, could be good, could be bad, sure. I don't know. But, like, it, it's not very mindful parenting. And I, I've i always thought of you to be a mindful, thoughtful, considerate person. Mm. And so it doesn't surprise me that those that part of the definition, the etymology of the word defiant would stick out to you, you know, being a, being a mindful father. I, I love that. I think that's that's great. Being a, pre- you know, it's not just present. Like you're not only just present, but like you want to, yeah, yeah be considerate and mindful. I love that, man. Cool. What's uh, there's a few questions I ask every guest, um, and I sent these to you already. But uh, what is a book other than the Bible that has significantly shaped uh, your your faith? Oh, I thought about I thought about this for a whole day. Um, nice. This might be a little. Good. This might be controversial, but I'm gonna throw it out there. I read. Yeah, please. I read the Ragamuffin Gospel by. Um, by Brennan Manning. Um, have you ever read okay. that? I've heard of it. I don't yeah. really. I couldn't tell you anything about. Yeah, it. Yeah, so it's um, it, it's quite old. Um, I think Brennan Manning was uh was um, oh, I think he was a, was he like a Franciscan um, priest or or but um, but he it's a really interesting like a book. It's a little controversial, so you don't you don't hear of it too much these days. Um, but but okay. I read it right at the right time for me. I read it when I was like fifteen or sixteen, and and um. You know, you you can get in there and find some stuff that that you might disagree with, but uh, the whole point of the book yeah. is grace. It the gospel mm-hmm. is it's a gospel of grace, um, and it, it is mm-hmm. that story of the prodigal son who is undeserving, who um, with all of his imperfections approaches his father and is accepted with open arms, and that is grace. And so the book was is uh, the book is really pushes on that point about the importance of grace and and um, and. Uh, even for ragamuffins, in our full imperfection, uh, the the, the mm-hmm. salvation belongs to all of us. It's a gift to all of us, regardless of, of what we bring to the table, uh, and we're undeserving of it, frankly. And um, mm. you know, and, and mm-hmm. so so mm-hmm. that's kind of whole, the whole premise of the book. And but you know, I read it at a really important time for me because I, I had a very kind of close-minded um, perspective of the gospel. Um, this sort mm-hmm. of us for th- us versus them. You know, I, I will be less sinful yeah. because I'm a Christian now. And um, if I'm not on this trajectory of being less sinful, that makes me a better Christian. And um, I, I think it, yeah. it, it's sort of a 
very closed minded view. And so it was a really great read. And, and again, it's a little controversial on some points. And, but, but uh, again, th- this, yeah. this idea that it was pushing this point of grace was, was pretty cool. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your, your feedback on the book too. You know, I, you know, even if things are controversial, like broke, how do I say this? Like, no one other than Christ is perfect. I put this on a pref- I had a preface in a in an episode of a few uh, weeks ago where I said like no one if if all I had on my podcast were perfect, sinless, perfectly theologically correct people, I could totally. only interview God. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so like I would say, yeah, we should be we should be yes, it is good to be uh mindful about sure. uh the things we consume. Yeah. And it's not, it's good to be prayerful and mindful in the things that we consume. But there's beauty and there's truth in so many things that aren't that that aren't the Bible, you know, that aren't that aren't the very words of Christ, totally. you know. And so uh, that's great, man. That I have to I'll I have to check. Yeah, it out. you should. You should. I have heard of it for sure. I know I've had friends who've read it before and have recommended it to. Yeah, good. Um, what is what is a? I asked you this question. I sent you this one too. So, I what is a just just for fun here? What is a controversial opinion about a certain food dish that you might have? For example, I had a friend of mine who. Mm told me he hates chocolate like it's not just he's allergic to it but like he hates it like any sort of light dark white chocolate m&ms cookies like none of it dude i hates it all i hate chocolate too i see you i like that's amazing we should i should what? go bowling with this person i really just i <laughs> i get my i get headaches bowling. though chocolate gives me headaches so it's kind of unfair i just don't um fascinating yeah i get i used to get migraines when i eat chocolate so uh, i kind of just cut, cut it out um how did you figure it was chocolate uh, you just—I mean, it just no, out I was in my mid twenties, I think, and you, I just noticed the pattern, you know. Um, wow. Yeah, I just noticed the pattern, and uh, it, and it, it was—it was kind of hit or miss. I would say like fifty percent of the time, I would get a migraine. Um, no, I guess a controversial food opinion. I don't know. I, um, I'm really picky about scrambled eggs. So a few years ago, I watched a okay. video of like Gordon Ramsay making scrambled eggs, and I was like. I think I've seen this video. I was like, I'm gonna make, yeah. I'm gonna like make Gordon Ramsay quality <clears throat> scrambled eggs, and um, I got there. It took me like six months, and I got, I got to that like scrambled egg point, and then I just became a jerk to everybody because I, you know, like, <laughs> um, uh, and so, yes. so now scrambled eggs are a point of tension in our house because you know when someone's making scrambled eggs, it's an act of love, and it's it's a lovely time as a family to have breakfast, and I, I'm sitting with my fork thinking I could have made this so much, so it's. <laughs> Talk about grace. Like I, my family shows me so much grace. Uh, but no, scrambled eggs. I'm very particular about scrambled eggs. Uh, that that stands up. That cracks me. Yeah, up. dude. I'm a the, uh, I'm a black the, coffee drinker too. So sometimes I see people like adding a lot of cream, a lot of sugar, and I, you know, I again, I'm so imperfect. I roll my eyes. You no cream, I, no sugar at all. No, because you can't taste it. You know, I was like, why would you put? I feel like they're. I feel like people ruin coffee by putting cream and sugar. But. I, also recognize that drinking coffee black is maybe uh, also like a what what someone that is uh, I don't know uh, someone might be crazy to drink coffee black. So that's probably what the other side thinks, right? <laughs> They're like, why would you drink coffee black? It's terrible. So for some reason, when I think of black coffee, I just think of old men. You're just old, <laughs> you know. <laughs> totally. You're 36, but but in your heart, you're 86. Yeah. You know, you're you're a vet. You totally. Know? It's uh, what uh, is my my maybe my opinion would be that I this is crazy. I don't like coffee. You don't drink coffee? All. Like yeah. I. I don't drink coffee at all. I drink I drink English breakfast tea okay. most mornings. Uh, sometimes chai when it's wintry. I do like a nice chai tea in the morning. Yeah. But but uh, just a pinch of stevia, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, coffee. I've never I've never warmed up to it. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's just every now and then, like 
I'll have a sip of my wife's something that has like a lot of chocolate and a lot of cream, and and it's okay, but it just tastes like yeah. muddy, <laughs> dirty, earthy chocolate. I'm like, just, totally. just give me the straight. You know, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it, it's fine. Yeah. Like, I just feel bad because I love coffee shops, and like one of my dear friends in my church owns a coffee shop here in Fort yeah. Worth, and. They, they're so kind to bring in samples to all of our men's events and like things like this and I don't partake and it's like look it's nothing against you I'm sure your coffee's wonderful I just don't drink it you <laughs> yeah. know yeah <laughs> so like yeah. yeah so like thankfully that part of my budget is actually pretty light because I don't we don't ever go to oh, Starbucks that's good you know? yeah that's good well, <laughs> I totally got hooked on it because of Red Bull because when we were in college that Red Bull car would pull up and they would just hand those things out like candy, right? So I finished college Dude, yes. like very addicted to caffeine. The Red Bull car. Yeah. yeah. And it, <laughs> I remember you that. Know, I would have like heart palpitations yeah. in my early 20s and so I, I just switched. <laughs> Coffee was sort of like a, you know, it was the lesser of two evils when it came to caffeine. So that's how it started for me. I like yeah. it. Yeah. I like it. I could go on a different rabbit trail there, but I won't. <laughs> um, I was going to, so I've got one more question for yeah. you. I did not give this one to you because I want your off the cuff okay, answer. Good. Although if you've listened to previous episodes, you've heard this question. I'm going to put you into a fight to the death, uh, barehanded. Uh, if you win, you'll receive great fame and fortune, which I know you care so much about. Um, uh, all your wildest dreams will come true. Uh, you have to catch us. You have to pick your opponent. Do you wish to fight either a single horse-sized duck or 100 duck-sized horses? Okay. Um I, my brain is backfiring against my options, and it's, so it's a hundred uh, horses that are the size of a duck, mm-hmm. uh huh, or a single yeah. duck that's the size of a horse. Have you ever seen the inside of a, a duck's mouth? It's got all those like little teeny tiny teeth, which I find very scary. I don't think I have actually. Yeah, if you Google mm-hmm. it, the, yeah, I'm gonna. But also this, the uh, so I'm gonna go with the 100. I'm a big guy. Okay. I'm six foot, like six you foot six, guy. and so I feel like. Yes, that height would really serve me in terms of security, and um, yeah, the yeah. Also, I think uh, I just dropped my pen. Sorry, I think horses are terrifying. Like horses' mouths are terrifying. So, but I yeah, think if, horses kind of scare me. Yeah, if they're bit. small, though, I can handle that. But but like a duck, the size of a horse, um, that would. Is it a small room? Is it like a big space? I have so many extra questions. I that's a that, no, that's a good question. I, the, what I think I've settled on because other people have asked this too. We'll, we'll say it's the size of a, of a football field. You should racquetball you know, like court. You in, like if it's the size of a racquetball court, see how that. If it's a very, it's boy, an, elev- yeah, it's an ra- elevator. You know, like what? <laughs> a racquetball court would be terrifying because you would definitely not be able to get away from the horse-sized duck in there. There's His no neck running alone away. Would get you from yeah. no. <laughs> well, only the most important questions on the Defined Dad podcast. Uh, Ryan Johnson, man, thank you so much. You bet. What a what a pleasure. Yeah, it's been hanging out with you this evening. It's so great to catch up and hear your story. If someone wants to reach out to you directly, would you welcome that? I mean, uh, oh, totally. Do you have a way to? to yeah, how, yeah, how can people yeah, get in totally. touch with you? Uh, you know, I'm if you look up like if you look me up on LinkedIn, just look up like Ryan Johnson and maybe maybe I'll pop up. Um on on Instagram, I think my uh, my username is like Ryan Johnson Films, F I L M S. So yeah, um mm-hmm. feel free, feel free with like do I do a lot of travel and posting and stuff. So um would would welcome any any extra questions or followers or and thanks thanks for having me on your podcast, man. So fun to hang out and just just catch up and and uh and uh, thanks yeah, for letting dude. me tell stories. If you have any feedback about today's show, I'd truly love to hear from you. Send me a message straight from the homepage at defiantdad.com. And if you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe. And if you like the show, do you mind sharing it with a friend? Maybe leaving a five-star rating. It's a either of those, a super simple way to boost the visibility of the show uh, so that more dads like you and I can hear the life-changing message. 
the truly life-changing message of the gospel. If you're on Instagram, I would be honored to have your follow there as well. The name there is The Defiant Dad, all one word, The Defiant Dad. And of course, this is The Defiant Dad Podcast. My name is Andrew Sullivan, and I will catch you next Monday. Thank you so much for listening.